You're listening to Better Than Yesterday, a podcast that will inspire the chase to your best self. My name is Angelo Kelly, and I'm a creator who escaped the traditional nine to five. On the show, you'll hear conversations with elite athletes, mindset coaches, and everyday people who talk about their personal journey to a life of passion. I appreciate you guys being here. Now let's get rolling. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. Thank you for being here this week. Happy Monday. Hope you had an awesome weekend. My guest this week is David Bayer. I've been holding on to this interview for a few weeks now, so I've been excited to release this one. David is a weightlifter. He's a coach. He's an entrepreneur. He wears many hats. He made a decision early on in his weightlifting career that shaped the rest of his entire life. So I'm excited to just break down his story, what he's learned from it, and just everything he's doing in the entrepreneurship space now. So let's kick it over to the interview. All right, we are live this week. I am joined by David Bayer. Thank you for joining me this week. Yeah, for sure, man. It's, fun. it's funny because uh, when you see someone with an Instagram name, you start referring to them by their name. So I'm always <laughs> yeah. like, you're just full metal lifter to me. Dude, I went to the, whenever I went to the Florida con, uh, coaching symposium, so many people just went up to me and was like, oh, what's up, full metal lifter. Yeah, I get it. I actually get called that a lot. It's funny. Yeah, I think I always do that to people, even at my gym, where I'm like, I'll refer to them as their Instagram name Instagram in my head. Handle. And then I'm like calling them by their Instagram name too. Yeah, no, for sure. Been there, done that all the time. Yeah, so we got connected um, a couple days ago, and I was just really intrigued by your story. There was there was a lot more. I thought you were just a weightlifter, so I started reading your story on Instagram, and I thought it, we would definitely have a great conversation about you and and your comeback, basically. So let's let's just start at the beginning. Uh, how old were you when you got into lifting? What what pushed you into weightlifting? Um, well. I guess I'll, I'll start with a little, a little bit further back. Do you mean lifting, lifting or like weightlifting? Oh, uh, wherever, you, wherever you want to go with it, man. So when I was 15, roughly, I went through the worst breakup of my life. You know, you know how it is being 15, like every breakup's the worst breakup of your life. And I got into P90X and then I went to Snap Fitness and I started reading about this thing called CrossFit and Paleo. Got into that and I'm probably core squatting, right, at this point. And by the time I'm 17, I become a CrossFit coach and really enjoy just athleticism and fitness, like because I got into a car wreck whenever I was 16, I thought I was going to be paralyzed. Like I got told that if I did any sports, I would be paralyzed. So I just enjoyed being involved in fitness at that point. And so coaching CrossFit, enjoying CrossFit. And then by the time I'm 18, 19, I get involved in weightlifting. So let's go to the car wreck. What, uh, what actually happened with that? You were, you said you were 16 when that happened? Yeah, I, so I just had turned 16. So actually, no, it was four days before my 16th birthday. And me and my buddies were going to the beach. And my friend has bald tires. He doesn't really know it. And he goes to pass another vehicle and ends up losing control. And he's going 60 miles per hour. The Chevy Buick that we're about to run into, or the Chevy Avalanche, that we're about to run into we we're in the chevy buick uh was going 65 so head-on collision and then i blacked out like i was out for most of it i came to kind of but my eyes were sealed shut like throughout the process and i was originally going to be life flighted because of how bad it was but uh one of the other passengers in the chevy avalanche ended up get getting the life flight and I got taken into the ambulance. It was a terrible ride. Um, I fractured my L3, so lower lumbar uh, three, and in my spine, the vertebrae. And then 
cracked two ribs, fractured my left elbow and got a concussion. So I got told by doctors, no impact sports. I wanted to do wrestling at the time and doctors were just like, nope, you can't do that. So I wasn't able to get involved in sports as early as I wanted to. They said if I got slammed or anything like that, that I could possibly be paralyzed or be paralyzed afterwards. So there was a lot of fear that was instilled in me to be, to be very careful. So how long did that go on? Like how long were you, you know, afraid to even use your body? Was that a long process to go through? Yeah. Um, not as long as maybe one might think just because I'm young and my brain doesn't understand consequences, but I wore, I had to wear a back brace for a month and a half and I couldn't like run. I couldn't jog. I couldn't, I couldn't do hardly anything, um, active for a while. Like I just sat around and played Halo three and then, or Pokemon for that matter. And from there, I think a, probably a year. No. Yeah. It was about a, a year or maybe half a year. I started to get back into fitness through the P90X. If I'm recalling correctly, it's been a while, but it probably was about six months after the car wreck that I wanted to do bodybuilding type stuff again. And I figured as long as I don't do impact stuff that I should be okay. I was definitely way too scared to do wrestling. I was too scared to do football or any other high school sports though. And then whenever I got into CrossFit, I was worried, but I was just having so much fun that my caution, caution went to the wind. So, yeah, I know anyone who does CrossFit, if you have a competitive mind, you can have a plan for the workout and then it's like three, two, one, go. And you're like, <laughs> you just go all out as soon as it starts. Yeah, you stop thinking about pace. You pace. You try to pace yourself, and then as soon as it starts, you're gassed because you went too hard. Yeah, that's exactly how it was. So that kind of got me over my fear. I think whenever I started weightlifting, I was a little bit fearful of back problems. I think my coaches tended to to be way more worried about my back than I was because that's a liability to them. And that, so how long were you doing CrossFit till you got into weightlifting specifically? Roughly like a year and a half or two years. Like I remember going to 2013 CrossFit games and I was all about that. But then there was a jump, jump rope clinic being done at the CrossFit gym that I coached at. And I went into it and the person coaching it told me about a weightlifting gym up in Portland, which was an hour away from me. I live in like small town Kelso Longview, so there's no weightlifting gyms here. And I thought that was super cool. I was super excited because I wanted to do either gymnastics or weightlifting because those were the two things that I sucked at. And I went for weightlifting, drove there, did the six week course that they had at the time for CrossFitters and fell in love. That's awesome. Uh, I feel like everyone has their their way into weightlifting. A lot of times it is CrossFit. It's great that, that so many people do find the sport just because of CrossFit. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the, the CrossFit boom is definitely real. ZTD actually did a really good uh, video on that. So, so you're doing weightlifting. You start getting competitive. Um, at what point? Are you, you know, looking at top lifters and saying, I want to qualify for these, these meets and, and just continue to get better? Yeah. So I was pretty angsty and very motivated. So whenever I got into CrossFit, I wanted to be Rich Froning. I wanted to be uh, Dan Bailey. I wanted to be Ben Smith. Like I wanted to be these top end athletes. I just always romanticized what it was like to be a top level athlete. I always looked at it and I was like, that is the coolest thing in the world because I'm, I'm 14, 15 year old little gamer me like growing up and looking at athletes. And I just think it's cool. I think the the drive, the discipline, everything, I romanticized it all. So whenever I got into CrossFit, I wanted to be that 
I wanted to be the best athlete. Whenever I got into weightlifting, I wanted to be the best athlete. Um, maybe not the best athlete overall total, like ever, but definitely the best athlete I could be. Yeah. I think anybody who's, you know, you have that competitive mindset. It's always about just what can you, like, what are you capable of? I know my coach, when I first got into weightlifting, he was like, these are the numbers I think you can hit. It's going to take 10 years, but I think you can do this. And for some people, they might've said, there's no fucking way I'm staying here for 10 years to do this. But me, I'm like, Oh, you think I can hit those numbers? All right. Like I'll talk to you in 10 years when I do. Yeah. I didn't even hear the timeline. You were like, Oh, big numbers. Okay. I don't care how long it takes. I can do that. Yeah, exactly. So we were talking, um, before your USADA cases is pretty much public for anyone to read. What, What point are you you know, told, you told me that you went to your coach and asked if you could make this level. And he said, no. So what's, what's the story behind that? So with my first two coaches, they did a really good job of not letting me get too fixated or focused on what my end destination was, but rather being focused on the process, having fun, enjoying chasing PRs, all of that nature. Um, First coach left to New Zealand, left the gym, Vulcan weightlifting at the time, to the second coach. And then the second coach was too busy, handed off to the third coach, which ended up being the guy that got me into steroids, right? So he takes over, kicks the second coach out, and he wants me to be very competitive, always talks about nationals, always talks about getting to international level meets because I'm young, I'm 19. And I wouldn't say I'm the most talented by by any means, but I had at least some talent, or at least that's what my first two coaches said I had. And he really wants to become a national level coach. He wants to go up the, the scale and of notoriety and he's always talking to me about how i'm his ticket how i'm gonna be one of the those athletes that helps him out and lo and behold i i hit a plateau like really hard i didn't for despite my training age it took me a six month gap of not hitting any prs and i think you say that like and six months really isn't that long for us veterans. But at the time, that was that was a long time for me, uh, being 19. And I was frustrated. I There was a lot of pressure on me. And I went up to him and I was like, hey, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I want to be better. I want to be like, what do you think? Do you think I can be at X level? Like, we went into the office area. Uh, away from everybody I pulled him over to that area and I was like do you think like what do you think I need to do or not even that it was just what do you think I can be like I want to make it to national level I'd like to be able to podium I don't care how long it'll take me I don't care if it takes me four years. I don't care if it takes me eight years. I don't want a shortcut. I just want, like, do you think I can make it to this level? And he said outright, no, there's no way that's happening. And I was like, well, um, gut check. That sucks. Like, that's my hopes and dreams. why, Why don't you think I could do that? And he's like, all the top guys are on steroids you'd have to be on steroids and keep in mind, this is a a guy who's not really been to the highest level of coaching. Like this guy has not proved his way through the coaching ranks. He's still a USAW at the time they had different, like uh, I think he was an L one. He might've been an L two, but like the L two process was completely different from what it is now. And he yeah i got the gut check and i was like well well then that's what i need to do like 
if I, I don't want it to be a shortcut, but if that's the only way that I can be a better athlete, like if that's the only way, keep in mind, I don't have my sleep in check. I don't have my nutrition in check. I don't even have my programming in check because this guy is not a smart programmer. And, and I'm like, if that's the only way, then that's what I got to do. So that ended up being the, the conversation leading to me taking steroids. Yeah. And any 19 year old, when you hear that, you don't like, you wouldn't think, Oh, my sleep or my nutrition, like, am I doing everything I can? Absolutely. You kind of, you kind of hear that and you're like, well, fuck, I guess I got to do this. Yeah. It's very linear. Um, and for me being the motivated, uh, very sporadic, probably even impulsive kid that I was, as soon as I get told that it's like, okay, that's what I got to be about. Like I have to be, um, that, and whenever he got me using, right. I, I actually had to go to his apartment. He had to do all the needles, everything, because I'm like, I'm chicken of needles like that. That scares me. Um, and he told me that whenever I started, I wouldn't feel guilty that I would look around and I would see that everybody else is using too, that it's okay. And all of that. And I ended up, that ended up happening, but I looked around and I didn't feel better. And I didn't see that everybody was using, like, if anything, I had more reason to believe that not everybody was using because I had experienced what it's like. So at this point, do you know, do you have any idea what you're taking? Are you just literally following whatever this guy is giving you? For the most part, I'm just following what this guy is giving me. Um, whenever he would list off a substance name, I would research what it was. And I would research on forums like, well, should I be taking this and this? Like, should I be... Um, as a 19 year old, should I be taking this? And of course, always the answer is no in steroid forms, which, you know, made me feel a little bit like, ah, I don't know. Like that's, isn't like, but surely my coach knows better. Surely my coach knows better. My coach, he, he's looking after me. He, he's looking to, to do everything he can for me. And I don't pay a membership. Like, I'm supposedly a sponsored athlete at this time as well. And he's trying to groom me to be a team captain. We talked about running a supplement company together. Like I felt like my career was safe with this guy on top of being an athlete. So I ignore the guidance on those, but I do to answer the question, I do basic research and I kind of know the substances, but I don't really know what like, I'm still new to it, it. There's, it's a very complicated subject. And for a 19 year old, just getting into researching it, there's no way I could have known everything that I needed to know. Like I just kind of looked up what I could. So when you got on, were you PRing? Were you starting to see progress? Yes. Um, not as much as probably people would think like I I was able to snatch a hundred kind of like I was able to get it overhead, but I wasn't able to stand it up, which is a, a u unusual problem. Like my legs were just weak. And that's one of the reasons why he thought I needed steroids is because I was just so weak. And in reality, I probably needed a volume program. I needed to put some size on my legs. I needed to do some more five by five, some, some linear progress. Honestly, just basic linear progression would have been fine. And I could land a hundred by the time I was done with the first cycle, I was able to snatch one Oh five. And so I went from being able to catch 100 and not be able to stand it up and to being able to snatch 105. That's not far. Like that's not much. And my technique actually got way worse during this time because I got super strong. I didn't grow into my body that well. And I was just ripping things off the ground because that's how this guy coached. This guy coached me to just rip it off the floor, rip it off the floor, rip it off the floor. Like I've worked with technicians like Vardanian. I've worked with Oscar Chaplin the third. I wouldn't say he's a technician, but he's a good coach. I've worked with Will Fleming. I've worked with 
all these higher end coaches since then, I definitely know that this guy sucked at coaching technique and I was out of position all the time. It was kind of a, a crap shoot, whether or not I was going to make a lift. Uh, if it was a PR attempt, like I probably had to take like six cracks at one Oh five before I ended up getting it. And then for clean and jerk, I went from, I believe one twenty three to one one thirty missing the jerk though. So I cleaned one thirty, but I didn't jerk it. And even that it was, it was really bad. Like turtly rounded back coming out of the hole. It did not look good. It did not look safe. And I ended up having knee issues by the time I finished the the first cycle too. So it was just, there are so many other things I should have been doing that would have been way more productive. I didn't end up putting that much on, like maybe 10 kilos on my back squat was the most impressive thing I did. And you're 19 at the time. So all those things probably would have happened if you just had better technique and got a little bit stronger. Precisely. Precisely. No, if I even just a linear progression squat program would have gone so far for me. And by the time I ended up finishing the cycle, I was slow. I was slow. Like my PR 170 back squat that I hit at, from that cycle was five, eight seconds coming out of the hole. It was terrible. So you get drug tested. You actually do it out of competition drug test. Do you know at this point you're going to fail or are you still kind of just kind of hit or miss? Yeah. Um, I kind of have an idea that I'm probably going to fail. I panic messaged the guy that was, you know, guiding me at the time with the, the drug abuse. And he says, you know, you're going to be fine. It's out of your system. Don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm seriously worried about it. And uh, so there was like maybe a 50, 50 chance that I was not going to test positive and lo and behold, I got the papers and it said, we're sorry to inform you that you have tested positive and it was out of competition. I'm not sure it must've been a tip off because that usually doesn't happen, but I, it kind of blindsided me and because I wasn't putting up impressive numbers either. Like I was, I was a 69 and I was snatching 105 still and clean and jerking 130 still. So I, the, the other thing is that I think happened that didn't allow me to mentally progress is that the guy who was guiding me on using steroids also did steroids as like that kind of goes hand in hand sometimes. And whenever he got me using, he got me mentally dependent on those substances. So the only times I actually felt confident in my lifts was when I was using. So as soon as I was off, just everything would go poorly. Not to mention my PCT was heavily misguided. So there was a lot of emotions. I was my, the peak of my suicidal tendencies arose during that time. Uh, just even before the ban, before the ban, it was still really, really bad. And I didn't like what I was doing either. So I hate, I ended up hating myself just more. There was just a lot of self-loathing going on. And with the out of comp, I, I knew it, I knew I was probably busted because I was like, you know, I shouldn't have been doing this. I shouldn't have been doing this. And that's what ended up happening. And when you're 19 too, like you don't really, by, by that time, I think I was 21, but still right. you're not, your, your brain isn't even fully developed. Like you're no, kind of, when somebody's telling you, this is what you need to do. You're, you know, you just believe them. And especially coaches like authority figures, you're like, Oh, they, they have my best interests in mind. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're a mentor. They're a figure. They're, um, they're supposed to be even a moral exemplar, you could say, and they're supposed to lead the way. And that's why like with my coaching philosophy, I developed meta is because I want to use most effective tactics available at all times. And that 
should always be get your sleep, get your diet in check, get like, I will unturn every single rock to try to get as much information as I can to be a better coach because I never want my athletes to feel like they need steroids at the, because I felt, I definitely felt that way. So, so what happens? You get, you get the suspension, you decide, uh, we were talking a little bit, you decided to be honest. You told the truth. You said you were using what happens with the whole case. Yeah. So the, basically what happened is I had the choice to tell the truth or not. And like you said, you know, like we talked about, I did end up telling the truth because I called my previous coach and I was like, Hey, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And my previous coach was like, you throw him under the bus after hearing everything that I said, I called both of them up actually both my previous coaches and they both said the same thing. And I was like, okay. And I tell the truth. I was supposed to do, or I did an interview with USADA telling my story to try to convince other people that are in similar situations to me to not let that happen to them. And I don't think it ended up getting used because they were having construction in the building on the same day that the interview happened, but I was there for like six hours straight. Um, and then I got two and a half years on the ban. That's what was determined. And I didn't really care about the, the reduction in the ban sentence. I know probably everybody would say that, but I thought for sure that I was done with the sport by the time I got banned. I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I deserved to be in the sport. I, a lot of people, my, the current coach that I was seeing said I was scum of the earth. As soon as I told her, she, I didn't really get to tell her my full story of like what everything that happened. And I'm not sure that would have changed her opinion or anything like that, but I got called a lot of names, even on social media, on Reddit. And I was just like, you know, I don't belong here. They're, they're absolutely right. Like I don't deserve to be in the sport. So that two and a half years, I did not care about. I could have sworn that I was, I was done for. I did the USADA thing because I thought it would help somebody. And I definitely wanted to prevent other people from falling into the same situation that I did because I mean, I, I went through suicidal tendencies before, as soon as the ban happened, that was definitely amplified all to my own fault, of course. Right. But it, I would, I just didn't want anybody to have to go through what I had to go through during that time. So two and a half years pass your ban during that time. When did, you know, your mindset change to, to maybe I'll compete after this is all over? Yeah. So although I have determined at that time that I'm going to quit, I was kind of unconsciously walking towards still wanting to return. Yeah. So I'm unconsciously walking towards that goal still. And eventually I get to the point where or I'm unconsciously walking towards that goal. Oscar Chaplin is telling me about how they're selling equipment and how he might want to get some. So I thought maybe I'd ask for his sake. And they end up saying, yeah, we're trying to get rid of equipment. And the guy I was talking to at the time, his name was Jake. And so I end up getting really lucky. I get to go check out the equipment. And I have, from the car wreck, I had a settlement uh, that I had always invested with from that point and I buy up a lot of the equipment I'm living with my girlfriend's parents at the time they allow me to clean the basement and in return I get to use it as kind of a basement gym so I have all the training equipment at the time I was still training at the military bases by myself and with uh, my girlfriend at the time, because she picked up Olympic weightlifting, unfortunately. So like she was already committed. I was coaching her kind of like, I didn't really want to coach her. I just, she wanted to get better at Olympic weightlifting. So I felt obligated and I enjoyed seeing her progress and supporting her. Uh, I wanted to see her eventually get into the sport w with me unattached and 
so there was still like setting myself up. I still fully believed I wasn't going to compete. And then I see that Norik Vardanian posts on Facebook and he's like, Hey, I got a garage gym set up. And I was like, you know, he's kind of going through a ban similar to I, I am. Maybe he, he would understand my story and maybe I could just have a training partner because at this point, I just want to train weightlifting. I, like, I don't want to compete. I just want to be, I still love weightlifting. I loved weight, everything that weightlifting did for me. I still love, like, despite going through all of this, the, the, the rush of hitting a PR, the rush of training, like all of that was still very beautiful to me. And I wanted to get back to that. So I start training with Norik Vardanian and he's coaching me and we do that maybe for eight months. And then we still have, like I, I get the OTC equipment and then I'm training in her parents' basement most of the time alone. Things with Nork don't work out. So I leave Nork and then I see Will Fleming and he's somebody that I looked up to and I kind of met one time at the Olympic training center. So I join or I, I hit him up on IG and I'm like, Hey, would you mind if we have a conversation about being able to have you be my coach? And he's like, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I hop on the phone with him. I tell him my whole story because after the backlash I've had with previous coaches, I'm very upfront at this point, just as soon as, uh, me and will get on the phone, I'm like, Hey, uh, just so you know, this is my story. This is my situation. I'm a band athlete and I don't really want to compete, but I'd really like to be coached because I still want to get better in weightlifting. I enjoy the process. And he's like, yeah, sure. Um, you sound like a, a good kid. It seems like you've learned your lesson from everything that happened. That sucks that you went through that. I'd love to have you aboard one kilo. And at the time it was uh, force force weightlifting and I was like floored that he was wanting me to be on the team and it was so accepting of me right off the bat. And then he mentioned wanting me on his university world's team and granted that didn't end up happening. And I think I was just too old by the time the, the ban ended, but the fact that he was willing to say that he'd want me competing again, just floored me. And I was like, you know, you, like, do you, th do you actually think I can compete again? Like, do you want, like, should I compete again? Because that's, that was completely out of the question for me. And he was like, yeah, you should totally get back into it. You should definitely compete again. Why wouldn't you? And I, I bawled, like I cried um, because I didn't, I, of course I wanted to, like, but I just felt so shunned and I felt like I, I, I just fucked up that hard that I didn't deserve to be back. And he was like, you have a great story and I think you should continue moving forward and kind of, you know, the best way that you can inspire others and to not fall down the same path is by staying with it. Like, don't leave. And that's, and that's how I decided, okay, I'm going to compete again. And that was like a year and a half into the band. And so I had one year to go of just training and we moved back from, or we moved from Colorado Springs during that time to Washington. And I set up the garage gym here that everybody kind of knows meta HQ. And I, I, as soon as my band was up, I, I was like, okay, time to compete. Like Will made me compete like the, like two months after my band was up. I felt super awkward about it. I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt like everybody was hating me. Like, I don't think they were, but I felt like that. I felt like just that, that paranoia. And I had a great time. I had so much fun. Like I still have the video of that meet and I hit, I, I think I ended up hitting 105 and 132 or 133 somewhere in there. And that was a competition PR total. And I was like, wow, this is, this is just as fun as I remember. That's an awesome story. And it's great that you had, you had that one coach who believes in you and who's, who, you know, validates your story that you made a decision. It, it wasn't the right one, but you made it. And 
you can move on. It's not going to define you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because I definitely did believe that it would define the rest of my life. Like granted it's, it, I think it might still be in some regard, but it's in a completely different way. It's definitely in a positive way at this point. It, it went from being the worst thing that ever happened to me that I ever got myself into to I can really use this story to amplify my original goal, which was to be like that athlete that everybody looks up to and is inspired by. Granted, I don't think I'm the, I went the route of being the just so elite that that's how I inspire people, but rather because of my perseverance, that's what inspires people. Yeah, for sure. And not everyone is going to, you know, I was kind of talking to my girlfriend about this. Like if your goal is to have the highest total in the United States and someone else just comes up and gets a higher total than you, like you have zero control over that. But if your if your goal is to be hit the top numbers that you're capable of, then that's a success. It shouldn't be about, you know, making international teams or it shouldn't be about being the best person in your weight class because you really can't control any of those things. Yeah. And when I originally joined the sport, of course I wanted to be the best, you know, I had that in mind, but I just really enjoyed the process. I enjoyed chasing PRs. I enjoyed hitting PRs. I enjoyed the grind. I enjoyed like the sets of 10, the sets of eight sets. It didn't matter what you threw at me. I just loved it. And whenever the one coach that led me, led me astray came and took over, it was the opposite focus. It was, it's gotta be results oriented. And as an athlete, having experienced what both sides feel like, I definitely know which one is more productive as a coach. And I'm able to get my athletes to focus on that exact thing process. You have to value process over destination. So so how do you think that has influenced your coaching style? Like we talked about, um, you know, exhausting all options before that, but what does, like, what do you think, how are your conversations different with your athletes than they would have been, you know, had you been this top level lifter and, you know, everything went right for you? I mean, I never thought of the latter, right? I never, I've never thought of making the comparison, mm -hmm. but if I were to imagine it, I think I'm a lot more philosophical than I would be. Like I'm very much so, I know how to coach people through their emotions and through their lows. I know how to be a decent life coach on the side, right? Because despite having steroids, because I wasn't at all mentally where I needed to be, I, everything just ended up falling flat. And because technique was not emphasized, even with steroids, I did not make that much progress, right? So I have a huge technical bias. And... Also, because I worked with Oscar Chaplin and he talked about how his career was ended by skipping accessories and not doing the smart stuff, right? I taught, like I worked with Norik Vardanian who herniated his, his spine and he said the one thing that he wished he did more of was planks to help fix, to help make sure that never happened. So I also had the bias of the coaches I got to work with from that experience. I would have never worked with Norik had I not been banned. I would have never worked with Oscar as closely as I did had I not been banned um, and gone through what I did. So a heavy emphasis on technique, a heavy emphasis on re rehab type movements, right? I'm not a physical therapist and I'm not going to pretend to be, but I do see a need for those type of exercises to be incorporated into a weightlifting program. And then after that men mentality, like I see how huge a role mentality plays into an athlete's training. Like 
I'd say that it's probably more important than the programming and more important than the technical aspect because a, a mentally weak athlete isn't going to feel confident in their technique whenever it gets heavier. They're going to rely on just yanking it off the floor because they are impatient or they are panicked and flustered. They're not going to be in tune with where that bar is, right? So I see a need for just so many different aspects of the athlete to be elite, right? If something goes, like I reckon, and also because I have experienced hormone abuse, I know how vital a role hormones play within that process as well. So if their sleep is not where it needs to be, say they're getting seven and a half hours, seven hours of sleep, then I know that their luteinizing hormone, their, their human growth hormone, like granted that plays such a low role in training on a day-to-day basis. But um, I know that certain hormones are not going to be where they need to be to promote elite performance on a day-to-day basis through training. So I have a, a almost a higher reverence for those type of things and nutrition because nutrition plays a role in hormones as well. So if you have your sleep in check, if you have your nutrition in check, if you have low stress, you're managing your stress, then you're likely going to have a better environment for uh, homeostasis, proper homeostasis, which is going to promote better training overall. Right. So I have, I just have a reverence for so many more things than I think I would have had I just been a successful athlete. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the biggest things I've been learning is like, all those things are great, like getting enough sleep, making sure your diet's on point, but most of us aren't going to be international competitors. Most of us are doing this as a hobby. And if you're, you know, I have to sleep nine hours every single night and I'm never going to go out on Saturday and I'm not going to go to a family function because I need to train the next day. Like, is it really that worth it? And I think your story kind of shows that you can still do everything and it doesn't always happen. Yeah. So I think with that, I would, I I would, I would be like, well, you're doing all the things right, but you're stressed the fuck out. Like, that's going to counter all the work that you're putting into. So you got to find a balance to where you're not stressed out too. Yeah. Like, and you know, some athletes, yeah, they can get super hyper fixated on, it, it depends on which athlete you're talking to, right? One athlete, you tell them to sleep nine hours and they're going to be super fixated on that nine hours and they're going like, they're going to take it too far. And as soon as they slip up on nine hours, say they get eight and a half hours, they're going to feel like, Oh, well, my training is going to be garbage for the whole week. I, I messed up and they're going to like the perfectionist, right? Versus most people that I've coached, they're going to think, oh, I got six and a half hours. It's whatever. It doesn't matter. And I have to try to give them, you know, you know, like there is some importance. You should try to get at least minimum eight. Like you have some leeway room, but, um, I think it just depends on which athlete you're talking to. Like the perfectionists, yeah, they're going to take it too far. They're going to get fixated on the wrong thing, right? They're going to treat it like dogma. That's the problem, right? These, these are still foundational rules that your body has to operate under, um, And scientifically, you know, there's evidence to conclude that these are true things that you have to, you should work on if you're trying to be an elite athlete, but if you're treating it like dogma and then it's stressing you out, then you're not benefit. Like you could be completely counteracting it because of how stressed out you are. So granted, if you're getting good sleep, you should be, um, able to manage your stress and emotions a lot better too. So. For sure. 
So let's just uh, let's get into a more positive note. You got a uh, you got a lot of things going on. You're uh, you have three companies that you're operating. Yeah. So what's uh, what's that been like? I can imagine it's uh, it gets a little stressful where you're you have your hands in a lot of different buckets. So what's that like? Um, yeah, I it's crazy kind of how it turned out this way because it went from me having no belief and hope in myself to I'm now, I have the audacity to try to do the things that I'm doing. And I think a lot of people kind of look at it like, wow, that, that guy's got some, some real, um, something that's more appropriate than balls. Uh, <laughs> right. You get what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, I, so I have bare media, I have rack sheath and I have meta weightlifting. And then I have my personal brand, which is full metal lifter, full metal lifter kind of just started as a joke. Like it was just, a, I, I was hanging out with friends and we're all anime watchers and stuff. And I was like, yeah, what should my new anime or what should my new Instagram name be? It should be a pun. And somebody came up with full metal lifter. and I was like, okay, I'll stick with that. That sounds cool. And I just kind of leaned into it really hard um, with all the anime stuff. And just because I enjoy anime, I enjoy the storytelling that's within anime. And, you know, because of my story, because of my, like, wow, you went through so much and you still overcame. Like, I can relate to a lot of just storytelling within anime. Um, Not to say that I feel like a main protagonist or anything like that, right? That's a bit egotistical. But... um, that was just started as a joke and kept going and I started generating followers. I worked with, uh, just saying gear, which was, uh, uh, like an anime, uh, fitness apparel company. And then I am now working with Richmond, working with a couple other, um, brands. And then I started bear media as a graphic design company because I, didn't really want to work retail. I was working at GNC at the time and I was like, you know, GNC is really sucking my soul out. And so I left focused on graphic design because I've, I've, I've been involved with graphic design since I was like 15, 16, roughly. I started my own apparel company in high school. And then whenever I was in CrossFit, I also tried starting my own apparel company, which was called No Glory. And because I've always been in love with the romanticizing of athleticism, right? With Nike, with all these other brands. Like I watched all their commercials. I got pumped up on them. And so graphic design just ended up, you know, fitting in with that. And I wanted to do an entrepreneur. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always wanted to have my own schedule. I didn't want to have to deal with somebody telling me how to do things. Uh, and so bear media became kind of my salvation to that. Will, the same guy who believed in me as an athlete was actually one of the first people to believe in me with bear media as well. He ended up being my first paid customer. And that goes to show just how great of a, a guy he is. Right. And then that seemed to go well. I was gaining confidence as an entrepreneur within that. And then rack sheath was an idea that I had from seeing so many people wrap their racks with socks, right? You see socks and tape all the time. And I was like, there's gotta be something better than this. Surely there, there would be. And I searched and I searched and I couldn't find anything. So I came up with rack sheath, which is just a, for those who are listening in that don't know, it's a, like in extremely strong nylon type fabric, not Cordura. It's although Cordura is involved um, with the, uh, it, it is in the product. It's not where the bar sits, right? It's a strong fabric that goes over a rack to protect the barbell from the rack because it, whether it's a J cup or whether or not it's a squat stand, right? Find us on Instagram rack sheath. And I, decided to pursue that 
and I got, I talked with a lawyer and guess who set me up with the lawyer? Will, right? Will just set me up for success on so many things. And um, so come up with that and I'm just, you know, they're kind of my baby and I just, I want to see them do well. Like I want to see it grow. I want to see what it can become. And that's, hopefully that answers your question, but basically I just, I enjoy, I just, I enjoy projects. I enjoy trying to see things come to fruition. I enjoy having a vision and then seeing it come to reality. Right. And it can be, you know, overwhelming. I'm an athlete, I'm a coach like with meta weightlifting and I'm a rack sheath owner and operator soul owner operator and then bear media just doing graphic design for weightlifting companies like and also i do graphic design and motion design and stuff like that for other companies outside of weightlifting but weightlifting is definitely the niche that i find the most fun that's awesome man and uh you know speaking of will like you have this one guy who believes in you I'm sure when the next David Bayer is coming up and they find you and they find your story, like you'll be able to go back and be like, this is the way, like, this is how I overcame. So I think that's, that's a great responsibility that you have, honestly. Absolutely. And I think that responsibility definitely drives me to be better, like moving forward just every day, try to be better, not just because I was never really motivated. Um, to for myself and my like my own endeavors like I've always been more motivated to help somebody else succeed and as an athlete you know that's maybe not the best you know mentality but um unless you really really like your coach but as an entrepreneur I get like with bare media I get to help other people see their businesses come to life I get to help them brand I help I, I help them figure out how to market better, right? With Rack Sheath, I'm protecting people's barbells and being able to contribute to the sport in a way that I could have never imagined whenever I was getting banned. And with Rack Sheath, I may, you know, my goal is to eventually sponsor USA Weightlifting and eventually cover the training hall racks, right? That, if you told me that while I was banned, I would not believe you. I just outright would not. And then with meta weightlifting, I get to coach people a lot. Like you said, you know, I I've been given a very wide variety of coaches that have, I, I I've been able to take their strengths and their weaknesses in hindsight, analyze all of them and choose which ones I want to keep that were good for me as an athlete or negative for me as an athlete. Right. So which ones I get to get rid of. And then I get to pass that on to the athletes that I coach. And I don't know many people who are my age, who've gone through all the things that they've gone through and have the experience that I have. And I think that's one thing that, that as a coach gives me a competitive edge. And it's what I, it's, it solely has to do with the guidance that I can give my athletes in so many different scenarios other than weightlifting. Like whenever they have life issues, right? Whenever they have, like I had a girlfriend who cheated on me uh, two times within a four year relationship, not the current one that I have, right? Elsie's awesome. Snatch potato on Instagram. She's awesome. Um, And and that's not to say she, the, the ex-girlfriend wasn't awesome either, but, you know, cheating, you know, kind of sucks. But because I went through that as well, um, I'm able to give advice for people who are also going through something of that nature, right? And if I can get somebody to emotionally cope with something that's very difficult for them faster, right, because how many times has an athlete as if you're a coach, how many times has an athlete had something outside of their uh, athletic pursuits, totally throw them off rails because of how 
just terrible it was for them to experience and go through, right? As a coach, I'm able to give them the advice that they need to help them cope with it faster so that way they can eventually get back to weightlifting in a healthy manner that's within my scope, right? There is a definitely, to kind of loop back to what you were saying, there is definitely a heavy responsibility that I feel that leads me forward and that motivates me for the good that I can do for other people. I have a thing and it's on, it's on all of my Instagram pages or at least most of them. And a lot of my more philosophical posts, I end with, and the world will be better for this. Right. And that's from Miguel de Cervantes and Don Quixote's. It's a movie that was made in 1967. It's based off a play and Don Quixote's is kind of this crazy character that has given up on reality in succumbing to his delusions. He actually ends up doing a lot of good and helping people see in a very dark world, in a very cruel world, he's able to help them see almost a silver lining. And in a song he says, and the world will be better for this. Right. So in trying to be the best version of yourself, which may be a just completely crazy and delusional goal to many, still believing that the world will be better for that. Right. So with what I try to do with bare media, with meta weightlifting, with rack sheath, with my personal brand, I try to just be that the like encompass that throughout my actions with my athletes, with my clients and with my customers. So. Yeah. I usually ask, uh, ask a final question about, what can, what advice can you give somebody to be a little bit better than yesterday? And I think you just answered it perfectly that, and the world will be better for this. Like we, we can leave it at that, man. Yeah. Well, so on Instagram, full metal lifter, and they can find all your companies, uh, right from your profile. Yep. With, uh, at full metal lifter, you can find bare media racks, sheath and meta weightlifting all from there. Awesome, man. I'll get all that linked up in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, it was fun. It was a, you know, bit chaotic and crazy. There was a lot to go over, (laughs) but it was a fun time. I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. Thank you for having me on. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Thank you so much to David for coming on the show. Again, if you want to follow him at Full Metal Lifter on Instagram, and then I will also link up all his companies in the show notes so you can follow them. He's done a lot of digital design in weightlifting specifically. So if you're a weightlifter and you need some digital media stuff, hit him up. He is definitely your guy. It's just really cool that I'm able to have people on who are honest, who are open and willing to share their stories. So thank you again, David. I just always refer back to calling him Full Metal Lifter from his Instagram. But if you guys want to support the show this week, make sure to give a five-star rating on iTunes. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story. And then also a quick review. All the three of those things would be extremely helpful. I just appreciate you guys getting some more reviews the last couple weeks. So thank you to everyone who's done that. Uh, Make sure to follow the Instagram. It's at betterthanyesterdaypod and then betterthanyesterdaypod.com. I look forward to talking to you guys next week. And yeah, just thanks for joining me. Take care.